0: Welcome to another episode of Mike's Money Picks. Today on the podcast, we are starting a brand new week of college basketball DFS action. we talk going to be talking about our four-game Monday night slate for Monday, February 20th. We do have a slate on DraftKings, as well as a three-game slate on FanDuel. So it should be a good night of college basketball DFS. We're getting closer and closer to tournament time, so... Intensity in these college basketball games is gonna start ramping up as teams try to solidify their resumes to get in the tournament. And also we are on the middle of NBA All-Star Break. So if you're normally an NBA DFS player and you're trying out some college basketball, welcome. Let's have some fun and hopefully you can win some money. If you were listening to the Saturday podcast, we actually had a really good main slate on Saturday. A lot of the picks, a lot of the guys that we talked about ended up having good performances, and we were able to go positive on Saturday. I hope you guys were as well. Not as good returns on the Sunday slate. Really my one complaint with the Sunday slate was the game times were so staggered that it just became so hard to build a lineup around all these potential guys being out, you know, with injuries. And it just made it really for a struggle in terms of trying to build a cohesive lineup and keep up with all the injury news when all these games are taking place nine hours apart. Before we get started on today's analysis, though, Let's go ahead and talk about our schedule for the week. So, tomorrow we will not be doing a college basketball daily fantasy podcast. Um, The podcast will be devoted to golf with the Honda Classic. Make sure you check that out if you like doing any sort of betting, DFS, or one and done with golf. Um, But also, if you want to see my thoughts on the Tuesday night slate, make sure you follow me on Twitter at Mike's Money Picks. They will be going on there. Uh, And then, hopefully, We will be back Tuesday night recording the episode for Wednesday's College Basketball at the FS Slate. Uh, The one issue we might run into is, uh, you know, I've mentioned on the podcast before, I am a high school basketball coach. And we've got a playoff game on Tuesday night that is quite a ways away from um, my hometown. So um, hopefully I will get back in time to, you know, stay up late Tuesday night and get it recorded and get it out to you guys. Um, But just giving you guys a heads up if that does not happen. Anyway, that's what we're looking like this week. Other than that, you can expect some college basketball content every day coming to you here on Mike's Money Picks, so make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. That way you're notified as soon as the episode drops, and rating and reviewing helps me out a lot. Um, I'm trying to become the biggest college basketball daily fantasy podcast there is, and I can only get there with you guys' as support. So without further ado, let's now go ahead and break down the slate, but first a quick word from our friends at Anchor. <laughs> This four-game slate actually shapes up to be really interesting. There are two games that stand above the rest in terms of a game that we might want to target. So the first one is Kansas and TCU. That one has the highest total of the night at 149.5. Ken Palm has that game pretty right on with the Vegas total. It's 75 to 74 Kansas. Now the previous meeting between these two teams was an eighty-three to sixty TCU victory at Allen Fieldhouse. One hundred forty-three points scored in that one, and it really wasn't that close near the end. Um, and so definitely, you got to think that the Jayhawks have vengeance on their mind and want to go into Fort Worth and beat TCU. Second game in terms of total is Oklahoma State-West Virginia. It's at 143.5 according to Vegas. Ken Palm has it pretty close to that as well. West Virginia, 73-69 to 69 is how Ken Palm has it. The previous meeting between these two teams was a 67-60 to 60 Oklahoma State victory in Stillwater. Um, so you got to figure that this one is going to see more points than that one at only 127. So those two games are the highest game totals. But believe it or not, the highest team totals actually aren't by a team in either of those two games. Duke is implied 78 points against Louisville. Illinois is implied 77 points against Minnesota. Both those teams are about 20-point favorites. And I mean, I get it. Louisville is the worst team in the ACC. Minnesota is the worst team in the Big Ten. Duke and Illinois, both NCAA tournament teams and who should cruise to victory. So um, definitely looking to get exposure to some Blue Devils and some Illini. Uh, But keep in mind, there is risk of blowouts in both those games. All right, so now let's break down the guard position. So Damian Boff, TCU, is sitting here at the top of the board. And simply put, he has not had the same level of production when Mike Miles Jr. is healthy and in the lineup. In the five games where Mike Miles Jr. was out, he averaged 34.7 fantasy points. Whereas the last five games where Mike Miles Jr. has been in the lineup, Damian Ball has only averaged 26.6 fantasy points. That's a difference of 8.1 fantasy points when Miles is in versus when Miles is out. Now, granted, there could be other factors as well that would make that be true. But it's very easy to say that when Damian Ball and Mike Miles Jr. are both active, they cut into each other's usage. And so Ball with less usage makes him a less profitable play in DFS. Another strike going against Damian Ball is that he only had 20.3 fantasy points in that last game against Kansas. But the good news is, is that when you look at how Kansas plays defense, a lot of it is predicated on Kevin McCullough just being a perimeter stopper, and he can only guard one guy. So, you know, do they put him on Damian Ball? Do they put him on Mike Miles Jr.? I would tend to think that whoever Kevin McCullough is not guarding would, you know, have a pretty successful night. Mike Miles Jr., the last time that Kansas and TCU played, had 27.5 fantasy points. Um, And that was with, you know, probably not playing the last six or seven minutes of that game. And so I think that there's definitely a chance that Ball or Miles comes through with a big game. But I don't know which one, and for ball's sake, I wish Miles was out of the lineup. But if I were to play one of the two of them, I would probably play Mike Miles Jr. Now, on the Illinois side of things, I expect Terrence Shannon Jr. to continue to sit out being in concussion protocol. And if he does sit out, I simply can't find a reason to sit Matthew Mayer or to not have him in my lineups. Uh, everything is going for this guy. He had 47 fancy points against Indiana, and in that game, he had a 28% usage rate, which is about a 6.5% boost from his season average of 21.5%. And Illinois implied 77 points in this game against Minnesota, which is nine more points than they scored against Indiana. Even if they blow him out, there's going to be a lot of production, a lot of points to go around. And to add all that, Matthew Mayer gets dual eligibility at guard and forward, so he gives you ultimate flexibility in building your lineup. He's got everything trending in the right direction for usage, and he's got a supreme matchup against a very bad basketball team. So I think this is just an absolute smash spot for Matthew Mayer. He'll be popular. I get it, but I don't think that like if Terrence Shannon Jr. is out, I'm, I'm probably just going to play him anyway, no matter what the ownership ends up being. Looking further down the board, L. Ellis of Louisville actually has a lot of upside, even though Louisville is, like Minnesota, very bad at basketball. He's hit four times value in three of his last five games. And the matchup against Duke isn't a great one tempo-wise, but it's not a terrible one either. If Louisville can just keep this game competitive, I could very easily see L. Ellis getting to four times or five times value, just based off of the amount of usage that he gets. Now for Kansas. Kevin McCuller is kind of a tough guy to get behind in DFS. He's not a guy that I play a whole lot. Simply put, his usage rate is not that high. He's not as involved in the offense as you would like someone at his salary to be. So he really needs the peripheral stats, rebounds, assists, steals, and blocks to be good to get the good fantasy performances. And quite frankly, I don't see TCU being a great team to get those peripheral stats with. They're 100th best in the nation in turnover rate, meaning they don't turn the ball over a whole lot. So there's not a whole lot of steals from a color to get. And they're 59th in offensive rebounding, which means that there's not a whole lot of, you know, just random defensive rebounds from a color to get. TCU gets a lot of them. And so I just don't think this is a great spot for him. And, you know, further evidence of that, there was only 17.5 fancy points against TCU is what McCullough had in the first matchup. And in that matchup, he was 5-6 for from the field. So I just think that he's got a really low floor because he relies on those peripheral stats. But if he does happen to get there where the scoring and the peripheral stats come together, he could give you a good performance, but everything the numbers points it to not being TCU that he's going to have that performance against. Now, granted, I could be wrong, but I'm just telling you what the numbers are pointing to, and they're not pointing to Kevin McCuller on this Monday night slate. Eric Stevenson for West Virginia, in my opinion, makes for a good GPP play. He is never highly owned, whether that's because he plays for West Virginia or because of his game log, I don't know. But he really isn't highly owned a whole lot, and he does have a bit of a ceiling. You know, he's shown multiple 40 fantasy point games this season. And his usage, like it can be peaks and valleys. It can be really good or it can be not so good. So you don't really know what you're going to get with him. And for that reason, when a guy has a high ceiling and low ownership, that makes him a great GPP play. Now, the previous game against Oklahoma State, he had 30.5 fantasy points on only 12 shots. And that game only had 127 points scored in it. So I happen to think that that kind of trends in the right direction for Eric Stevenson, maybe having some potential to hit a ceiling night against Oklahoma State. Dewan Harris Jr. of Kansas plays much better. Well, let me rephrase. He has much better fantasy performances in Kansas wins than losses. In Kansas's last four wins, he's averaging 32.5 fantasy points. In Kansas's last four losses, he's averaging 17 fantasy points. So what you're looking at here is whether it's correlation or causation, if Kansas wins, Harris needs to play well. Or... Maybe it's the inverse. Maybe if Harris plays well, Kansas wins. I don't know which one comes first, the chicken or the egg in this instance. But statistically speaking, if you think Kansas wins this game at TCU, DeWan Harris probably needs to be a part of your lineup. So if you're pro- if you're building around some of these pieces on Kansas, maybe a Kevin McCuller, maybe a Grady Dick, maybe a Jalen Wilson, then probably sprinkle Dewan Harris in there as well because that's probably going to mean that Kansas is going to win the game if those guys have big nights. For Duke, Jeremy Roach and Tyrese Proctor are in play for me tonight against a Louisville team that is ranked 255th in giving up assists, meaning they give up a lot of them. Proctor has been a little bit more productive lately, but Roach generally has a better usage rating long-term, so I would probably lean Roach over Proctor, even though Proctor has been a little bit more productive lately. Bryce Thompson of Oklahoma State is still too cheap in my opinion. Uh, I think he makes too much sense to play at this price tag. He's reached five times value in two of the four games since teammate Avery Anderson got hurt, and he's had over 12 field goal attempts in all four of those games, and he's had over a 24% usage rate in all four of those games. He's just got too much usage to be sitting down here at a 6K price tag, and I think the matchup against WVU is pretty good. Now, worth noting also is that teammate John Michael Wright, has over a 21% usage in all four of those games as well. If you're looking to cut cost a little bit, I could see downgrading from Thompson to Wright. I probably wouldn't play both of them together, but I definitely think that if you're looking to save yourself a little bit of money, even though it comes with a little bit less usage, John Michael Wright is in play as well. But obviously, I would prefer Bryce Thompson if you can get there on the price. Now, for value plays at guard, Mike James and Caleb Asbury are just okay. Um... Don't really have much thoughts either way on those two. Joe Toussaint of West Virginia is a little bit interesting. He's shown a little bit of a ceiling in this game. Could get one where he could have a big night. Um, But I really like for the value plays on this slate, the Illinois guys – If Terrence Shannon does not go. So if we look at the game stats for the Indiana game where Terrence Shannon did not play, Jaden Epps had a 21% usage rate and 21.8 fancy points. We'll take that out of a guy at 4,700. Ty Rogers had a 15% usage rate and 16.8 fancy points. Not bad. He gets dual eligibility also. That's worth noting. RJ Melendez played only 14 minutes. Had had only seven point three fantasy points, but did have a twenty four percent usage rate. Now I'm not, you know, one to come on here and like rip players or like criticize their performance or nothing. But I did not think he played well just on my eye test watching that game. So I would think that you know those low minutes, that low minute total that he had was probably a result of Brad Underwood getting frustrated with him. Um, so I would be more inclined to think Epps or Rodgers. Another guy to look out for is Luke Goody, who is a near punt play at thirty two hundred dollars. Had eleven percent usage, played over twenty minutes in that game against Indiana. Um in terms of non-Illinois guys that I'm likely to play Jaden Henley of Minnesota gets due eligibility he's been pretty good lately price tag is still very affordable All right that does it for the guard position on this slate let's take a quick break and then let's break down the big fellas <laughs> All right, looking at the top of the board at the four position, sits a National Player of the Year candidate in Jalen Wilson of Kansas. And, look, I totally get it. And, in fact, on FanDuel, where there is a lot of value to be had, I would almost consider him a must play because he's not significantly higher than, like, the other guys here on the slate on FanDuel. Um, on DraftKings, I still think he's in play as well. Um I just think everything points to him being a good play. He had 42.3 fantasy points against TCU the last time those two teams played. And in that game, Kansas only scored 60 points. It wasn't really competitive for the last five minutes. And so I just think that, you know, better game environment, really solid usage rate consistently night in and night out for Jalen Wilson. Um, I have no problem going to him in DraftKings or FanDuel, any format. Now, Kyle Filipowski for Duke is a little bit of a cause for concern, in my opinion. He hasn't hit four times value in seven games, but if there were a time to do it, it would be against this Louisville team who allows a ton of rebounds which is largely because they miss a lot of shots. And so when you miss a lot of shots, there's a lot of opportunities for defensive rebounds. Um, so that makes it a good spot for Filipowski. Also in this game, Duke is implied 78 points, which is a feat that they've only done once in that seven game stretch where he hasn't hit four times value. So I think with a lot of scoring to go around, a lot of rebounds to go around, Maybe it might be a night for Filipowski to turn it around. I think he makes for a lesser-owned pivot off of Jalen Wilson. Um, However, I don't think he possesses the same upside as Jalen Wilson. Now, for Illinois' Coleman Hawkins, I really don't think that the absence of Terrence Shannon benefits him. Um, I think he's just kind of a very mediocre play on this slate. Um, I don't think that Terrence Shannon being gone is going like, to increase his fantasy point totals in any way. As evidence of that, he only had 18.8 fantasy points in the last game against Indiana that Terrence Shannon missed. And earlier in the season when Illinois played Minnesota, he only had 9.5 fantasy points in that game. I just don't think it's a great spot for him. Now, speaking of Minnesota, Dawson Garcia is a solid play, in my opinion. He is back from injury. He returned for his last game against Penn State and had 32.3 fantasy points, which is four times value, which we will absolutely take. And against the Illinois earlier in the season, he had 32.5 fantasy points in an 18-point loss. So he has shown that um, he can hit value in all kinds of game flows. He's going to see a crap ton of usage. And Illinois, without Terrence Shannon, maybe this game's a little closer than we expect. I don't know. But I definitely think that there is upside there for Dawson Garcia. Now, his return really does cap the upside of teammate Jamison Battle. I would probably cross Jamison Battle off of my list until his price tag goes back down to where it was before um, Dawson Garcia missed games and Jamison Battle's usage skyrocketed. So once it kind of settles, I would probably put him back on the list. But he's not on it for Monday Night Slate. Now, the whole 7K range below Dawson Garcia is tough because they are all really inconsistent. One guy that I do want to talk about, though, is Dane Danger of Illinois. What a name. He quietly had a 27% usage rate against Indiana, but he only turned it into 23.3 fantasy points. It was kind of not as successful of a night from the floor as what he's used to, and so I kind of think that If that usage rate continues, he's going to score a lot more fantasy points. He had 21 fantasy points in 21 minutes against Minnesota the last time these two teams played. And if he definitely keeps that rate up, one fantasy point per minute, but sees more minutes, upwards of 25, 30 minutes, I definitely think this could be a really good spot for Dane Danger. Now, another guy in the 7K range that's worth talking about is Emmanuel Miller of TCU. He may be called upon to play heavy minutes to guard Jalen Wilson. I just think he is the best physical matchup for Wilson that TCU has. Um, Like Obviously, they're not putting Eddie Lampkin on him, and obviously they're not going to put one of their super important, super vital guards, Damian Ball or Mike Miles, on him. And that kind of leaves Miller as the only guy that can play out on the perimeter, is still got some lateral quickness to stay in front of him and he's probably gonna have to do that job all night long and last time that Kansas played TCU Miller had 22.5 fantasy points I honestly cannot remember whether he was guarding Wilson in that game or not but I I don't really know if guarding Wilson would help him get more fantasy points or help him get less fantasy points like I, I genuinely don't know which direction that's gonna go but one thing that I think could happen is if he is guarding Wilson he could get into foul trouble uh, and so that provides a little bit of risk but I definitely think that the upside would be there because you know if he's guarding Jalen Wilson and Wilson's taking these shots that are 5-10 footers or at the rim he's going to be in positions for all these rebounds which is going to put him in position for outlets into assists so I could definitely see the argument going either way but he's going to have a very important role to play in this game for the Horn Frogs. Looking further down the board, Louisville's Jalen Withers has seemingly out of nowhere put up three straight games of over 25 fantasy points and over 30 minutes. And I kind of think that's a trend worth like looking at because if you're thinking about this Louisville team right now, it is a lost season. And if you're Coach Kenny Payne, you're going to try to look for some guys that you can build around and keep out of the portal and have on your roster next season. And maybe Withers is that guy. So maybe, you know, you give him some extra minutes, you call some plays for him, you make sure he's happy, you make sure that, you know, he thinks he has a future at Louisville. And so maybe that's what's going on here. And maybe that trend is, you know, something worth rostering in DFS for us. Now, another Cardinal that is coming on strong lately is JJ Trainer. He had 37 fancy points in their last game against Clemson. This one is more of a one game thing as opposed to Withers three game trend. But those two definitely have a little bit of upside, even if this game turns into a blowout. I definitely think that those two are two guys that Kenny Payne could try to build this Louisville program around. Now for Duke, the other side of this game, Derek Lively and Ryan Young could be in store for a big game against Louisville. We talked about how Louisville leaves a lot of rebounds up for grabs, but also Louisville's a pretty big team. And so if Duke tries to match size, they're going to give a lot of minutes to Lively and Young and Filipowski. um, And so you could definitely see a little bit of uh, um, a bigger upside, in my opinion, for those two guys. Now, last guy that I am going to talk about because there are so many guys down here near the bottom of the board that have dual eligibility, and those are really the main guys I'm interested in, if I'm being honest, near the bottom of the board at the forward position. Um, The one guy that I do think is worth mentioning, there is a lot of plays in the 5K, 4K, 3K range that are high risk, high reward, Um, but the one that I think might present the most reward would be Eddie Lampkin Jr. of TCU. He is finally back from his ankle injury, and... We've seen bigs dominate Kansas because they like to play K.J. Adams at the 5, and he's about 6'7". Lampkin's about 6'11", 270. He is a big body, and I could see Kansas having big-time issues with him if he is actually healthy, playing a full-minute load and being able to be his usual self offensively, I could absolutely see Eddie Lampkin delivering a 30-fancy-point performance from a salary of only $4,200. And so I think that he is the guy that, down at this range, has the absolute most upside. Like I said, he doesn't come without risk because we know he's coming back from injury. Um, there's always the chance that Kansas you know, goes five out and plays him off the floor, but I definitely think that there is a lot of upside with Eddie Lampkin Jr. All right, so that does it for... forward position and that does it for the monday college basketball dfs slate hopefully you guys um, enjoyed it hopefully you guys have a lot of plays that you can put into your lineups now for this monday night slate like i said earlier if you are going to be looking for a Tuesday episode, there will not be one. Tomorrow's podcast will be devoted to golf, um, so make sure you give me a follow on Twitter. I'll be putting all my thoughts for the slate on there. If you want to see how I take all this information and put it into my DFS lineups for both DraftKings and FanDuel, head on over to the Patreon, patreon.com slash picks And lastly, please help me out. Rate, subscribe, and review. Like, for real, y'all. It really does make a difference, and I really want to grow this podcast, and I really could use you guys' help. So um, I would greatly appreciate it if you hit that subscribe button, if you hit that rate button, and if you wrote a review. I would really, really appreciate it. All right, that does it for the podcast, guys. So I will be back tomorrow to talk about the Honda Classic, Um, but until then, best of luck in all your DFS endeavors. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Thank you guys for listening, and I will see you all next time.